0: again and welcome to the Family Life Canada podcast. We're Neil and Cheryl Josephson and we have the privilege of leading Family Life in Canada. A team of about 30 staff and over 5,000 volunteers, all passionate about strengthening marriages and families.
1: Now most of our work is with married couples, couples of all shapes I should say, and, and with families. That's That's who we spend most of our time with, but we have learned that there's a great correlation between how we've navigated our singleness, how we've come to be married, how we dated, that there's a correlation between all of that and then the kind of marriages we end up living into. Mm -hmm. So to explore that, we wanted to do this podcast.
0: And we asked a new friend, Deborah Filetta from True Love Dates to join us on the podcast. She's a licensed counselor, a relationship expert, a speaker, and the author of several books, including two coming out this year one with Gary Thomas and she also hosts the number one faith-based Christian relationship advice blog and podcast So we're delighted to have you on our podcast Deborah thank you so much it's a pleasure to connect with you guys likewise likewise it was great to be introduced uh, to you by our friend Gary um it, but you have some expertise that we really feel like we yeah. need to access. So tell us a little bit about True Love Dates. How did it start? Yeah. What, what what's the impetus for that?
2: So Truelovedates.com is a relationship advice blog. And it actually started as a way to market my first book called True Love Dates. But what I didn't realize is that God had much bigger plans than I had imagined. And the blog eventually kind of took on. Uh, a being of its own. And I would say that the blog is uh, right now, the primary hub of the whole ministry and really the bottom line. And, and, and the message is that healthy people make healthy relationships. And that's really where my heart is as a counselor, because I, I believe when you get healthy standing alone, it will impact your, your life as a single, it will impact your future romantic relationships; it will impact your marriage. So that's kind of where everything points back to at the end of the day. Mm.
1: So all the people on the pop podcast can't see us nodding our heads yes. and going, <laughs> "Yes, that's what we believe too, and that's what we've seen in our work." Mm-hmm. That's what this makes this conversation so so important. Now, now in uh, you, many great things and people check out the blog, TrueLoveDates.com. So many wise things, but let me pick up on one thing you said in there: don't live to get married. Live to live. Now, I think that's a way to come at this point you were just making. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about it. Now, we want to be clear, me and Cheryl, also Family Life Canada. While we really enjoy our marriage and see the value of it, we do not believe that we exist to be married. Hmm. You know, we exist to, to uh, live into our created identity as a son or daughter of God made in God's image. So that's what we're created for. Now, if we choose to get married, then we want to do it in the best possible ways. So uh, just wanted to be clear for everybody. We are not saying you have to be married. But most of the people who come to us because of who we are, even though they're not married, they're thinking about it Mm -hmm. or they're curious about it or they want to do it well. And those are the kinds of people we talk to. I'm assuming uh, that's who you speak to when you're speaking about singleness. So that's what we want to get focused on. So um, talk a little bit about that thing. Don't live to get married, live to live.
2: Yeah. You know, I think when you desire marriage, you really do have a tendency to assume that life starts when I get married. And I do believe the Christian church, I love the church. I'm part of the church. But I, I feel like sometimes we do a disservice to singles by idealizing marriage we talk about it so much we we push singles to get married now marriage is a desire that god gives and it's a beautiful desire but it's only a fraction of the story it's only a portion of the story of what god is doing it's not the big picture but then you have all these christian singles who are truly living for that big thing that is the point of their when their life will be complete some some even use the term soulmate As if that's when your soul and your life and your purpose is complete. Marriage cannot give you purpose. Marriage cannot give you security. Marriage cannot solve your problems. I mean, the bottom line is it's just a fraction of the story. And I think as a counselor, what I see is people put marriage on such a high pedestal. And then when they arrive and it's not exactly what they expected, or they start hitting some marriage problems like everybody does they're disappointed, they're jaded, they're bitter, they're resentful because they waited and waited and waited. And now it's like, this isn't what I expected. And now I feel let down. But when marriage is just part of the journey of what God is doing, when I can see the bigger picture of God's calling over my life and find somebody with that same vision, like this is just a portion of our life. It it makes it so much more complete when you get there.
1: Yeah. So true. And as you were saying that Deborah, I was struck by the the dynamic we've seen over and over. People have these expectations and when they're disappointed, they rarely go back and question whether their expectation was accurate. Right. They they question the person. Yeah. Or they question, question the, God. Question God, the person, use it against themselves. I'm a bad, yeah. unlovable person. You know, instead of questioning the expectation, And that's back to what you're saying. Like, we need to understand the the right view of marriage.
2: Right. And when we are secure and whole, standing alone, that's when we can engage in the healthiest relationships. When I am there to pour out, not to desperately receive out of my emptiness, like, I'm, I'm not feeling good about myself. I need to feel complete. Marriage can't really help us in those mm. areas. And it, and if it does help us, it's all for all of five minutes. And then you realize, <laughs> wait a second, this person's human, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And so just having realistic expectations, but really starting the conversation with who am I? What have I come from? Like, what's my past baggage? If you look at my first book, True Love Dates, it's broken into three crucial sections for finding love. Number one, dating inward, which is about dealing with your junk and your past and your baggage. Number two, dating outward, having healthy interpersonal relationships, being healthy in the present. And number three, dating upward, which is all about God's role and God's calling and my vision for the future. So we're looking at past, we're looking at present, we're looking at future. And when we have those
0: components right, we end up in the best type of marriage. Yeah. And you probably see the same connection, but we can see, you know, ten, five, 10, 15 years down the road when the couples that we're interacting with, we can see those connections to, to their premarriage life. You know, sometimes it's family of origin issues. Sometimes it's, you know, how they handled their singleness, but if those aren't handled well or dealt with, you're right. They do pop up.
1: Mm. And they they do. do
0: affect the health of the marriage. I I'm sure you've heard Les and Leslie Parrott talk about the, uh, marriage is only as healthy as the least healthy person in it. And, you know, we, we put glass ceilings on our marriages all the time because we haven't, like you said, looked, looked inward, looked outward, looked upward. So talk a little bit about some of the connections you see between um, when people date, how they date and how their marriage looks down the road. Uh, Have you identified some pretty kind of linear connections? Well,
2: Hands down, what you see in dating, you will see in marriage just magnified. So when you're seeing issues, when you're seeing struggles, communication, when you're seeing insecurities, when you're seeing conflict, unresolved conflict, marriage doesn't solve those things. It just magnifies them. And, and it does concern me when I see a couple so early on and I, I get requests for counseling from dating couples. And I think pre-marriage counseling is good, but I think individual counseling is more important, to be honest. And when I see a couple who comes in for dating counseling, I'm like, this is already trouble. <laughs> Having to already, in dating, deal with issues A, B, C, and D means these things are only going to get magnified when we get married, you know? And so that's really the the correlation is what you see in dating. You'll see multiplied by a hundred in marriage. And, and again, as you get healthy as an individual, as you take the time to look in and figure out what do I need to work on? You know, past trauma or those false expectations or those beliefs about myself, those labels that I carry that, you know, bring all these insecurities and doubts and shames, the sins and struggles, whether it's pornography or sex addiction or whatever, does not dissolve in marriage. And so um, when I talk about healthy dating at the end of the day, I really mean just becoming healthy as an individual and and taking those necessary steps right now, right now. And I always tell people it's not in vain. You are doing the work. You're just doing it early. Well, Deborah, what if I never get married? Guess what? These skills Hmm. will help you in your life and in your other relationships. They'll enrich you to be a healthy person. So
0: it's not in vain either way. Yeah. Yeah. We'll often tell couples like the, the marriage relationship is a relationship. It's not like it's in its own separate category. Of course it has other elements, but it's the same. Yeah. It's the same species. So the things that help you in other relationships will help you in your marriage. Yeah, you're right. So what kind of, I know you've given lots of advice, uh, relationship advice to singles. Can you choose kind of the top three pieces of advice and we'll go oh, to the
1: website for the rest. Correct. Just give us, yeah. Your, yeah. Three Just
0: give us top your, your top three. First and
2: foremost, get healthy standing alone, which we talked yeah. about. And, yeah. and I would say going with that component, I really encourage a season of counseling. I really do.
1: Okay.
2: You know, up to six to eight sessions of individual counseling with a Christian licensed counselor to help you really dig deep and see, are there any loose ends? Is there any anxiety? Is there any depression? Is there any past histories or some insecurities I haven't dealt with? Any problematic behaviors? Maybe I don't express my emotions well. Maybe I'm not a good communicator to kind of help you pinpoint what you need to work on, because sometimes it's hard to pinpoint it yourself. And then when you're up against another human being, it all comes out, you know, so do that work standing alone. That'd be my first piece of advice for sure. Um, I would say my second piece of advice would be to educate yourself. Um, I wrote a book called Choosing Marriage. And in that book, I, I talk about how we don't really prepare for marriage. It's, it's such an important aspect of our life. And we want it. But we don't prepare for it. To become a surgeon, my husband needed 25,000 hours of training to get his medical license. For me as a licensed counselor, I needed 3,500 hours of training to get your driver's license. It's a, it's a hundred hours minimum to go get a marriage license. It's zero required hours of training. You just go in, sign a few papers and you're like, good luck with that. Have a great life. But if we really value marriage in the way that we say we do, wouldn't it also make sense that we start preparing and training and educating? Nobody would, would enter a marathon with zero training, but marriage is even more intense and and way more meaningful and substantial and significant in how it impacts your life and your health and every part of you. Yet we go into it with such little preparation at best, maybe a couple hours of premarital. If my surgeon before a surgery said, yeah, I got a couple hours of training. I'd be like, uh, I don't know if this is going to work. But marriage, it's so normal for that to be the case. It is. And so I encourage people, whether they are single or married, to begin or continue the training process. Learn, grow, read books, listen to podcasts, download as much information, take courses, because like we said, even if you don't get married, It's not in vain. And then my third piece of advice would be to really maximize your community, because like we said earlier, the health of your relationships isn't just reflected in marriage. It's reflected in community, how you're doing community. Is there drama? Is there conflict? You get to work these things out in the context of Christian community. And so it's really important to surround yourself with the right people.
1: Mm-hmm. And and if you were dating somebody and and getting to know them, you should pay attention to uh, the kinds of friendships they have, right? And 100%. Uh, like, are they in friendships where there's mutual respect and they they uh, care for each other, or all their vulnerable. yeah, or all their vic- or, all, or or are all their relationships like roller coasters and fireworks? And it's like, yeah, I mean, these things matter because those principles will affect every friendship. Yeah,
2: one hundred percent. It's Community is telling. It's a very telling piece. It tells us a lot about ourselves and it tells us a lot about others. It's also good to have people who are who you've invited to speak into your relationship and kind of point things out that you might not be able to see, to give you that balance so that you're not spending every waking moment with this person and then it doesn't work out. I mean, there's so many benefits of healthy Christian community while you are in the process of dating. And
0: it comes in handy when you're married too, to have those good people in your life holding you up. No kidding. I, I love one of the blogs you wrote about bad marriage advice. Uh, so you yes. gave
1: the three good tips. This yeah. is the reverse. Oh, <laughs> the side, yeah, really
0: bad marriage. Neil and I could probably write a book about all the bad marriage <laughs> There's advice. There's a lot out there. repeated to us. Yeah. yeah. So one of which is the whole concept of happy wife, happy life. Um So could you just go on a little bit of a rant about that? Because I'm going to be amening in the background. You shouldn't invite me to go on a rant ever. (laughs)
2: Please do. That is too easy for me. You know, it's interesting because sometimes I think in trying to overcompensate for something, and probably in our society today, it would be we're, we're trying to overcompensate for patriarchy that has permeated society. So then we swing to the extreme other side. I don't know what you call it, matriarchy, (laughs) feminism, whatever you want to call it, and the extreme perspective. But when we look at life, you know, as a counselor, I, I always note that extremes are never good. You know, extreme views are never healthy for a relationship. And when we talk about this perspective, happy wife, happy life, it's all about the wife. It's all about pleasing her. Well, then the relationship becomes unbalanced as well, you know, and and I I really believe that a huge problem we have in marriages today is the the passivity of men. And I think part of that passivity is something that culture tends to um, affirm and enable because of messages like this. You know where where it's all about the wife, it's all about the woman. men are just not good communicators, men aren't good at sharing their feelings. All these things we say well, show me where in scripture do you read that? Look at Jesus, the most emotional man. you know he was so in tune, he was such a great communicator. Look at King David, and all the emotions oozing out on the page and I think when we say happy wife, happy life, it's putting the spotlight on the woman and all that she needs and. And not realizing that a healthy marriage has to be balanced. In a healthy marriage, we are co-laborers working together toward Jesus and his kingdom and what he's called us to do. We're a team. We're a partnership. And, And it's really not about just happy wife or happy husband. Honestly, it should be happy Jesus, happy life. Because when the Holy Spirit is alive and at work in our life, and we are pleasing God. We are walking in God's will. That's when we have the best marriages, right?
0: Yeah, and I think just to just to be to jump in on that, I think when behind that is just sort of keep the peace, keep everything calm, sure. no tension, no conflict. Yeah. Just give her what she wants, keep her right. happy, placate her. And I think that diminishes both men and women. I mean, I, I don't want to be placated. I want to I want to stand my ground and and elbow my way to make sure that my Point is heard in a marriage I don't want to be placated I want to be listened to I want to be honored and respected and so as a woman
1: and and, and so do I and so do <laughs> I. Exactly.
0: exactly
1: and this is the conflict in marriages we both have needs we both have expectations we both have reasonable um, desires that are God given that you would be respected and listened to and collaborate yeah. on building this beautiful thing that God wants us to build together
0: yeah I like your words yeah. yeah. wording yeah
1: Hey, so uh, continuing on this happy theme, um, another piece of bad advice I think that you highlighted was this notion like just marriage is supposed to make you happy. Uh, right. Did you speak to that? Can you add something to that?
2: Well, you know, okay, we we mentioned earlier the idea that people just think that marriage solves all. You know, we, we mm. put it on such a high pedestal and we don't realize that a normal part of marriage is disappointment, letdown, hurt. You know, sin struggles. When I see a couple who tells me they never argue, my yeah. alarms go off. I'm like, someone is lying here. Someone is not telling the truth. Someone is being extremely passive in the name of selflessness. We think it's being selfless, but really it's passivity and it's destroying our marriage because we're not really saying what we need. And so when we are honest, there's going to be a point when we're not happy in this relationship, there's going to be a point where we're disappointed, where we're hurt. And, and that is human life. That is humanity. And so the question then becomes not, is marriage going to keep me happy? But when marriage does disappoint, then what, you know, then what, how do we work through this? How do we get on the same page? How do we forgive? How do we communicate about what's hurt? How do we resolve this and come out stronger on the other side? And and that's the key is When disappointment comes, you're prepared for it because you have a healthy understanding that it will come and you will be disappointed at some point.
1: And and I would go so far as to say you may never be as disappointed as in marriage. Because the stakes are so high. Because Mm -hmm. your heart is out there. And and as you've really opened up to this person you're trusting, when they disappoint you, and we do without even meaning to sometimes, I mean, that's going to cut deep absolutely
2: it's the most vulnerable relationship yeah when you open your heart in such a way it can hurt more than anything else um, but that's the beauty of marriage too and and on the flip side you can feel healing more than in, in any other relationship when things are resolved you know you see god's grace and his forgiveness and his mercy through your spouse's healthy actions so so we have the power to kill and the power to bring life in our marriage and taking that responsibility on yourself is important. Like I have a lot of power. I can, I can destroy this person and I can raise them up. Help me Lord to honor that power and, and to, to
0: wield it in a way that honors you in the mm-hmm. process. Hmm. Do you think that there are some additional layers that kind of get overlaid uh, onto Christian couples? Are there expectations? Is there sort of, um, I don't know. I mean, marriages are marriages, regardless of your faith background or your belief in, in God. But yeah. are there some layers that kind of get added on, in, hmm. especially in the hmm. evangelical Christian community, I guess? Hmm. Well, this kind of speaks
2: to the project that um, I have going on right now. And it's called Are You Really Okay? And it's a book about um, taking inventory of our mental and emotional health. Mm. Not just assuming that just because we're Christians, we're going to be good at everything. We're going to be great at relationships. We're going to be healthy.
0: Mm.
2: Um, and I think the added layer that we struggle with in Christian marriage is the assumption that, well, we're believers. We shouldn't have issues. We shouldn't have sexual issues. We shouldn't have marriage issues. We shouldn't be acting like this. We shouldn't have problems. But we forget there is an emotional and and mental health component, Hmm. emotional, mental maturity, um, all of that stuff, that that psychological baggage that we bring in from our family of origin, um, those false expectations that we talked about, all of these things that are really rooted deep within us that don't just disappear when we come to know Jesus. They have to be worked out. We don't assume that when we come to know Jesus, our BMI is going to be perfect. Our blood pressure is going to be great. Our (laughs) blood sugars are going to equalize. But we do assume that somehow we're going to magically be good at relationships. We're just going to be good at it because we're Christians. That's not how it works. Uh, And I think that actually holds Christian marriages back because when they reach that point where things are not right, it almost causes a layer of shame in that Well, we're we're believers. We Hmm. shouldn't be dealing with this. Who do we even talk to about this stuff? Let's not even bring it up because... Christians aren't supposed to go through this type of stuff, you
1: know? You know, we spend a lot of time and energy, and one of our our priorities is to try to coach churches to be places that really encourage healthy relationships, single relationships, married relationships, all relationships. And and churches struggle to be as authentic as you just encouraged us all to be. Mm -hmm. So if you're really hurting in your relationship, whether you're married or single, are you safe to go to your church and say, I really need help? I mean, I am hurting right now. And I'd say a lot of people would say no. No, I, I would. I don't feel safe saying that in my church. I'd be uh, I'd be uh, judged for that. I'd be like, oh, you know, sister, brother, you you must be struggling spiritually. That's why you have this problem. Right. No, so right. we coach churches. And one of the things we really press is, could you be a really relationship-affirming, marriage-affirming place authentically? honestly. That's so important.
2: It is important. But I also think it's important for us to recognize as well that I think the church has limits too as the body of Christ. I mean, I think sometimes we actually put too much on the church in the sense that they're not providing um, addiction groups or they're not providing marriage groups. And some churches are doing a great job. And I praise the Lord for those churches. Not every church can do that. Yeah. But if I had a, a plumbing issue, I'm not going to expect my church to provide the needs for my plumbing issue. I mm-hmm. think sometimes we put too much pressure on what the church should provide. Sometimes it's really comes down it's a psychological problem that needs counseling. Sure. And, and, and churches can say, listen, maybe we, this is out of our wheelhouse, but we want to support you. So yeah. I also want to speak to churches and say, you don't have to be the end all be all for every problem. But just to have that open and available heart, that authenticity that says we all struggle and it's normal and it's okay and we'll help you take the next steps. Here's what you need. Let's get you plugged into counseling. Let's get you plugged in to this 12 step program, this support group, this divorce care group, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you're right. It really just begins with authenticity if I'm completely honest with you, this book that's coming out called, are you really okay? It's a little scary for me. It's coming out in May. And the reason it's scary is because I share my story for the first time.
1: Mm. I've shared
2: bits and pieces, but I had a near death experience. It caused a lot of PTSD. Uh, It caused panic attacks, depression. I had to go through my own journey of medication and therapy and how it impacted my life and my marriage and Putting that out there isn't always easy, right? you know, but at the same time, it paves the way for people to realize, oh, even licensed professional counselors who help people heal from this stuff, struggle with it in their own life. I've been to therapy myself. I've taken antidepressants myself and to be able to kind of just be honest about that, I think paves the way for healing for others, you know, so that's kind of where I would love to see
0: us as a church. I agree 100%. I think sometimes we feel like, not just in our own personal lives, but in our marriages, that somehow if our marriages don't aren't quite perfect or we aren't quite perfect, that somehow we reflect poorly on Jesus. Right. On his, we were ruining his reputation somehow. And I think we just need to get over that. Jesus is fine without us <laughs> defending his reputation by being false. Yeah. Um, yes. He would I, be shocked if we were actually okay.
1: Jesus was known to hang out with some pretty messed up people, so he really was. <laughs> yeah. And, um,
0: another question that we get asked a lot, and I know you've explored quite a bit as well, and'd love to hear your take on it. Mostly the question comes from women often expressing their frustration that their boyfriend or their fiance fiance or their husband is not the spiritual leader in the relationship. Now, you've done some good thinking and some good writing on this. Let's talk about that for a few minutes.
2: Now, are you trying to get all my rants out of the way? I am. I okay. totally <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. just stir it up, wedding. Deborah. <laughs> this this is definitely a sensitive issue, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, leadership and submission and what does that even look like? I think it's a beautiful concept and how it plays out in marriage. And I would say the evangelical thinkers who have been able to identify the role of leadership as. Um, you know, spiritual leadership and sacrificial leadership, a man who's laying down his life, has been a great perspective for us to, 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 to lean into for people who really want to apply that model to their life. I think when it comes down to, practically speaking, um, even in my own personal marriage, is one thing that John and I have both learned is that when one or the other of us isn't taking the reins, The other person who wants something to happen needs to take the reins. So some seasons that has meant, all right, here's what we're doing. I am taking charge because John is not at a place where he is able to be the spiritual leader God has called him to be. But I'm going to take the reins and I'm going to bring that aspect of Jesus into our home. Those that prayer, that intimacy, that confession, whatever it is. There's other seasons where John's like, you know what? I'm taking the reins here because you are depressed and anxious and you're a mess and you need me to help support you during this season. And that's what I'm going to do. And so that's really how it's played out for us. I think sometimes the problem is when we have these high expectations of what a spiritual leader looks like and we wait and we wait and we wait And we live in passivity instead of living in what God has called me to. I need to take responsibility for my relationship with the Lord, even in my own marriage. And many times when I do that, whether I'm the woman or the man, it inspires the other person to do the same. It starts to exude the Holy Spirit more and more into my relationship. And that influences the whole thing. Um, Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that we should just, you know, cancel out the idea of spiritual leader. But I do believe that in some seasons, what it really comes down to is asking yourself this, am I reflecting what I need to reflect in this marriage? Am I pursuing Jesus the way that I need to pursue him? Am I exuding the Holy Spirit in this relationship in the way that I need to? And trusting that what you can't control, which is your spouse, God will heal And grow and inspire and motivate. So you do your part and and allow God to do the rest. You know I I I especially say that in marriage. Now let me just add the caveat here: if you're in a dating relationship and you're not seeing the evidence of that in the person you're with, remember what we said: magnify that by a hundred. And if that's really what you want in marriage, you know, then go for it. But if you want somebody who's walking towards Jesus like you are, there's got to be a shift happen before you get married, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think when the, the term spiritual leader is so loaded with expectation, I think different right. people hear it differently. And I think some a lot of times those expectations are really hidden and and nobody knows what sort of standard they're supposed to try to be living up to. And, right. and so we've seen that, that particular phrase be very complicated in mm-hmm. relationships. And what we've also learned is that, a lot of times it's just expecting that your partner will experience Jesus in the same way that you experienced. Yes. Him. You know, Thomas's work on sacred pathways is so yeah. great because it's really helpful. We're different. We're wired we're differently different spiritually and we can benefit each other if we lean into those differences. But if we see them as sort of spiritual maturity or a scale of spiritual maturity, then we're always going to be judging each other instead of spurring one another on. When John and I got married, I remember struggling
2: with this concept because, as you can tell, I'm the one in the relationship who goes and speaks and teaches and creates content, podcasts. John is more steady and stable and faithful and loyal and constant with his walk with the Lord. And I would say he exudes the fruit of the Spirit way better than I do. But I'm like the loud on the mouth of the Spirit. <laughs> you know, he's the fruit of the Spirit. But when you're wired to experience Jesus in such a tangible way, you know, I remember looking at him early on in our marriage and being like, well, why isn't he like me? But as I matured spiritually, I realized that his spiritual leadership was in that steady grace and forgiveness and love, joy, peace, patience, that he was exuding into our relationship constantly that I wasn't. I would be the one to get mad quicker or have passion about something. and But but was I exuding the fruit of the spirit, you know? And so it, I realized that we both really bring Jesus to the table, but in different ways. And we've learned so much from one another along the way.
1: And if we could stop short of judging the way the other person, what the other person is bringing to the table, I, we're judging what they're not bringing to the table because we think it's a lack but they are bringing some strengths. And, right. and this is what the scripture teaches, right, is that we don't all have the same gifts. We don't always express the spirit in the same way. So, And that's the strength of a marriage that you and John have learned. And I think every marriage that's healthy in this regard has learned. Hey, gonna uh, one more topic before uh, we we'll
0: get to the end know. of the
1: podcast. <laughs> but really want to touch on this topic. We've talked to Gary Thomas, and we've talked to you. You, We're really excited about this book that you have coming out. There's so many books already written about sex, but you and Gary have this book coming out in 2021. Uh, Give us the overview. What can we expect? Why did you do it? What's your hoped outcome? And we'll all buy the book when it comes out.
2: Yes, we're so excited about it. It's actually called Married Sex, and it comes out in October 2021. And Really, what it comes down to is we wanted to offer a, a comprehensive approach to this topic. So there's the female perspective and the male perspective, but there's also the licensed counselor perspective and then the pastoral theological perspective that we're both kind of bringing something different to the table. I'm in my 30s, he's in his 50s, you know, so we each kind of bring different generations, different voices, different genders, different areas of expertise um, and the work that we've done with couples. And it has been such a blast writing this book and being able to interview so many couples and just get hear the nitty gritty of what people are really struggling with, but afraid to address. They don't know where to, what do you do? Google search it. They're afraid what they're going to find on Google. They don't, it's not something you talk about with your friends on a Starbucks date. You know, you don't compare notes. And so- People are are struggling and they don't know where to turn. And then the books that are out there either lean toward one gender or the other, and, and the other gender kind of feels left out. And so we're just hoping that the Lord would use this book to bring healing and hope and show people that, you know, even though sex is just a portion of our marriage, it's a reflection of a lot more. A lot of times it's a reflection of what's going on deep down underneath and how can we make that the best that God calls it to be. We we always say, you know, Christians should be leading the way in good sex, but I don't think that's the case right now. And so so we're hoping that this um, book offers inspiration and encouragement in a very sensitive area, but we bring it with humor. We bring it with very practical steps. Um, and I think it's gonna be a challenge and and hopefully a lot of encouragement to people out there.
0: Good. We will pray to that end because boy, we know it is an area that a lot of couples are really struggling with, yeah, for sure.
1: Fantastic. We'll look forward to that it comes out in October. Hey, and for more of the wisdom that you've been enjoying on this podcast from Deborah, please check out truelovedates dot com. Um, great articles, blogs. Uh, thank you for sharing some of that.
0: Deborah, thank you so much for taking time for this. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Boy, we could have gone on a long time. Well, let's let's do it again, and we'll pick up where we left off. I I can punch a few more buttons, actually, probably.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you have a few more rants left I, in I you. Let's you do have some a more. Few more
0: in you. Oh yeah, absolutely. I could keep going. <laughs> Uh, We'll bless you and what you're doing and we'll look forward to the book coming out. Thank you all for listening and you can find more podcast episodes and a link to our current webinar series, Great Marriages Don't Just Happen, at familylifecanada.com. we will talk to you next time.
1: Bye for now, everybody.